Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And you may be in a ruined Jules relationship if you're planning your whole future with someone, but you're not sure that they are doing the same. Oof. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. If this is your first time tuning in on this podcast, we look at fictional relationships that we know and love, or at least know and have opinions about. And we use those fictional relationships to talk about real relationship topics from our non-fictional lives. This is a very special episode. Um, we're talking about Rue and Jules from HBO's Euphoria, which has had one full season and two bonus specials. Um, and I just want to say from the top uh, that this show contains violence and substance abuse, and some of these topics will be a part of our conversations today. So if those are topics that you find upsetting or triggering, this may not be the episode for you to listen to, and I totally understand that. But if you do choose to stick around, we're hopefully going to have an insightful conversation on teenage romance, navigating your first queer romance, and we're going to discuss how, you know, once you put glitter on your face, it will truly be there for an entire season. I just also want to quickly note here that a topic that will be notably absent from today's conversation is the role that substance abuse plays in a relationship because Rue is, of course, an addict and it affects all of her relationships, but particularly her relationship with Jules. And substance abuse and addiction plays such a significant role in so many relationships. And I think that's a conversation we should have on the podcast. But it's a conversation I want to have with a professional. I am not qualified to give any sort of advice or experience to give any sort of perspective on that topic. So when we eventually do have that conversation, I'll be sure to bring on a therapist or a counselor or a specialist so that we can have that conversation responsibly. So it will happen another time. It will just not be a huge part of today's conversation. And I don't want you to think that we're ignoring this huge part of Rue in the show and the relationship. We will just get more into it at another time. But there's still plenty going on in this relationship. All right. So I am Megan Fitzgerald, the host of Talking Ship. And for those who are new, I use she, her pronouns. And in this episode, I am very excited to bring on a very special guest to talk about this show and to confirm to everyone that um, I was, in fact, Lexi, the Maude Apatow character in high school, my longtime friend, M. Salmon St. Pierre. Hello. Oh, hi, Meg. Thank you for having <laughs> me on here. My name's M. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm a queer, non-binary person who lives in the Pacific Northwest. And you can usually find me outside. I'm usually in the garden or on the trail. But right now I'm back in the closet. So we can really get into the mindset to re record this uh, podcast talking about the, the queer relationships um, in Euphoria. Yeah, I wanted to take you like straight back to 2008. <laughs> oh, God. Bring on the trauma. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. And I can't link your Instagram at the end. Uh, you're not online. This is just, this will be your online presence. This is your gift to everyone. This this is it. You can also find me blowing up Pinterest, but good luck with that. Um, my <laughs> boards are lit, I will say, though. So let's start to talk about this show because people will uh, get to know you and your love life and your perspectives on 
romance throughout this conversation as um, this some of these topics are quite personal. So I'll let you speak on that when we get to it. But let's start with talking about Euphoria. While I think this show is so good and so well made and has incredible performances and incredible music, this show is also very hard to watch. And I think it's for a few reasons, some of which is like the high school aspects of it all. So I think we should maybe like spend a couple minutes on our personal high school experience. Emmy, I'm curious, like what your experience was watching the show? How did you relate it to your high school experience? And your high school love life. <laughs> My high school love life. Wow, what a thing to really dive back into. Yeah, and also, sorry. when I when we were talking about this, I, I have like a notebook that I started from like 2006 that I like oh, really God. went through. And wow, did I cringe like through most of that. It was just like so many upper caps, like unnecessarily and like really use that strike through tool all of the time. I was like, the drama is really coming through on this paper and I appreciate it. But going back to Euphoria, like I remember seeing the trailer come out for it and immediately I love Zendaya. I'm a huge fan. Didn't know Wait, much I about- I just want to say it right now. It is Zendaya. Zendaya. Okay. That's really good to know. Um, Zendaya. I love her. She's uh, great. And the prospect of her being queer was really exciting to me. Um, I didn't know much about Hunter Schaefer, but like once the show started, definitely went and like looked her up a lot. Also Drake as a producer, like yeah. needed to see that happen at champagne poppy he's listening <laughs> he's he's definitely listening he's waiting for the episode to come out this whole time um but i was really captivated by the show and like the just the visuals of it was really amazing mm-hmm. i was there i was definitely watching every week while it was coming out and just like the depth that they went through in some of the characters was, you know, I think we saw a lot of things that we hadn't seen before, especially when mm-hmm. it replicating the teenage experience in today's in today's life. Yeah, the depth of the like and just the the depth of the characters and the like range of the experiences that they go through. I was so appreciative of to have a range of like, you know, the Cassie character who's hypersexual and then also, you know, Lexi, the Maude Apatow character who's still like discovering her sexuality and everything in between. Euphoria would be my high school experience if everybody was the Maude Apatow character, if everybody was Lexi. Like yes. when she dresses up as Bob Ross, do you remember the year on Halloween where I dressed up as the PC from the Mac PC Justin Long commercials with my mom? Oh my God. Yes, I do. That was incredible, yeah. Monica. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of oh, this is what the other side of high school was like, the high school experience I didn't have. And a little bit of like, oh, is this what high school is like now? Um, Which if it is, it's the best form of birth control ever, this show. I made me never want to raise a teenager. Yeah, absolutely not. And like, is it the other side of high school? I felt like definitely the Lexi's character, the Bob Ross one, that's like how I felt really like, represented us and our friends like more of a goofy theatrical kids and I know that there were a lot of people out there like doing drugs and like hooking up a lot more but like we truly just like spent a lot of time in Maggie's hot tub and like going to Baskin Robbins like did we miss out on something very fundamental because I felt like we were having a great time Um, and it was just like reading through some articles about the representation of high schoolers on this show a lot of people were like yeah that's like what it is which is kind of terrifying to me I don't know how well I would have done at this point in time do you feel like 
there was any of your high school stuff and the like partying element of it because I think you partied more than I did. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of that was like instigated by like a lot of my own insecurities and Mm -hmm. um, the people that I was and was not hanging out with. I definitely hung out with our group of friends, but outside of that, hung out with people who were, you know, smoking a lot of weed and doing different sorts of drugs, um, which... I like to experiment with, but I think a lot of it was like a coping mechanism for me in Mm -hmm. high school. Like looking back on it, I see like how awkward and uncomfortable I was in my skin. And like there was so much performativity in my actions, like dating cis men and hypersexualizing my femininity and experimenting with drugs and alcohol because I just experienced so much dysphoria that um, I really couldn't, didn't have the tools to recognize. And using, you know, drugs and alcohol as a way to cope was also something that like triggered depression and substance abuse in my life. And so there are like elements in the show that I see in my high school experience. But a lot of that was because I didn't understand or know much about my queerness because, and we'll talk Mm -hmm. about this later, like a lot, a really big lack of queer community. Like, as you know, like I came out when we were like 16, maybe Mm -hmm. 17 to our friends and talking to now my queer community, there's a lot of people who, you know, didn't really do that until they were older. But I felt really lucky to like have such supportive friends and also parents that showed up for me in ways that were, um, really just like visible and wonderful to see. And I feel, I I feel lucky and like also acknowledge like we're from the Bay area. And so there is like a quote unquote progressive, you know, community out here. And I was really fortunate that at the time, I guess I identified growing up as a cis white lesbian. And so that wasn't uncommon. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the discrimination and the violence and marginalization that, you know, queer and um, trans black and brown people face was just like not the same. So the experience that I went through as a young queer person in high school was really transformative, but also based a lot in the lack of knowledge that I had about what that really meant and the lack of language. Yeah. I feel like every time I bring up this show, one person yells so good and someone else yells, I just couldn't watch it. And I agree with both. Um, because as we've spoken to, like the design, the costuming, the music, the stories they chose to tell are so well done. But I think what's hard to watch, and this is why I say it's not that bingeable, is the like slathering on of layers and layers of trauma. And the fact that they they do it to every kid in this show has something going on, but especially that like the black queer woman and the trans woman on this show have just layers and layers and layers of trauma And of course, that makes for a relationship that we have a lot of opinions about and a lot to discuss today. But I just sometimes was like, this is so much to put on these two teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. They really had just so many different elements going on. And 
them having to support each other and like this trauma bonding that we see happening on screen, it really does feel like too much. I definitely agree that as far as the show goes itself, it is truly visually stunning. There was these moments where like the characters really stepped out of their own reality to like emphasize a point. Like there was that one scene when um, they're talking about dick pics and Rue basically bake, breaks it down. What makes a good dick pic? Oh. Good. That is one of my favorite scenes in TV. I don't know if I've even ever really received a dick pic, but like that is really good to know that that information is out there now. But like something also that I want to point out for the show itself is um, that Sam Levinson, who is the director, is a cis white man who has like is open about his struggle with addiction in his teen years. But most wrote most of the show without a writer's room, which, you know, really doesn't allow for the space to show like the real complexities of the marginalized identities that we're seeing on screen. And so I thought that was when I when I was reading about the actual production of the show, found that very interesting, especially all the topics that they really touched on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does feel like they are painting in broad strokes with these characters very broad very glittery strokes and when you like have that kind of one-sided perspective that's what leads to all this like layering and layering and layering of trauma onto these specific characters um i found myself like the second time around watching the show just like really taking in the violence that was done to the not only the like physical but also the emotional violence done to jewels it was Mm -hmm. just a a lot to continue to see this happen to this character with like no outlet to really express that in any capacity except we see her like abuse drugs and alcohol later in the show and then Rue's addiction just continuously traumatizes the people in her life and aren't really left to be able to cope with that and like seeing the addiction we see this addiction as you know deceptive and destructive and the show just goes into this like explicit detail on you know how to get addicted what drugs to get how you get high from them and how to like fool the people around you we also see a lot of the parents addiction becoming you know something that's in the background that the kids just kind of learn to cope with and as I mentioned earlier like as a person who in a little bit in high school but later in my uh college years like struggled with addiction I found myself kind of like missing it a bit which was hard Mm -hmm. to watch because she's just always kind of fucked up in the show except when she's not which really then becomes dependent on Jules availability and we'll continue to talk about that in a bit yeah yeah let's start to talk about Rue and Jules themselves as a couple so there's a lot going on But even though, even if all of these elements don't apply to you, I think a lot of people can identify with the Rue and Jules relationship because there are some things that are very quintessential and core to so many relationships. So we're going to go into relatable content. You may be in a Rue and Jules relationship if... You are in your first queer relationship as a young person. Mm -hmm. You may be in a Rue and Jules relationship if... You kind of hate everyone else in your life except this person. You may be in a rule and Jules relationship if you've dated or been someone and been in a relationship with someone who has struggled with addiction. 
And you may be in a ruined jewels relationship if you're planning your whole future with someone, but you're not sure that they are doing the same. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene in the, this doesn't give away too much about, this is from Rue's bonus episode that came out, I think in December or November. The opening scene is like Rue imagining her life with jewels probably like five years in the future. And it's so heartbreaking because you're like, everyone has done that at some point, especially in high school when you're young and you're like thinking about the future you're going to have with this person. And, you know, the 27 year old version of me watching Rue's fantasy was like, Rue, you're not doing anything for yourself. Like you're, you're revolving your life around this person. But like, that's what we did in high school because it was so all consuming, which brings us into the first topic that we're going to discuss today. The first relationship topic. We're going to talk about that all-consuming, I-hate-everyone-else-but-you relationship. We're there in high school, and I think that this does happen in high school, but I think that a lot of people, especially who feel misunderstood or isolated in high school, find that first love, even if it's you know in your early 20s, and suddenly they are your reason to live. They are the only thing that matters. You prioritize this person over everyone. If they're not happy, you're not happy. Nobody understands you with this person. I think this is what Rue feels about Jules. So I don't know. Like I think I think we should start by just talking about like our high school first loves. Um, I'll just briefly talk about mine first, but because my high school first love, though you know a, a heterosexual relationship was also big and intense. Like I think. I don't think I've ever really admitted this. I I think we said I love you before we even kissed. <laughs> oh my god, that feels right. I love you like way before any before we were like officially together. Um, but it was one of those situations where like he complained about everyone else to me, and it's just so exciting to be in love for the first time. I think especially if you're like unguarded and vulnerable and emotional and dramatic like I am, it's really hard for it not to be all consuming. And like, I don't know, this guy and I, we read John Green novels together. Like we were all in life or death stakes romance. And I remember when I tried to end the relationship in high school, him like physically holding me and begging me not to break up with him. He truly felt like me breaking up with him would be the end of his world. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you can't see the future and you have no concept that in 10 years you won't even talk to me and you'll be a homeowner and have a kid with somebody else. So he's doing fine, you know, and even it wasn't even like anything really dramatic happened, but it felt dramatic. So that was my kind of high school, big dramatic, I hate everyone else but you relationship. Um, Would you like to talk about yours? (laughs) Before we get there, do you feel like that kind of bigness carried on when you continued your relationship outside of high school? No, I think by the time we both got to college, both of our worlds had expanded and the relationship felt less big. When we first started talking about this episode, like my initial thought jumped to the first relationship with that I had with my long-term girlfriend that went from my senior year to college and thought that that was just like the the length of it equated to the enormity of the relationship which in some respects it it does but then thinking more about it and we were like talking through the show I realized that my first big love was 
you know, with a friend that turned into a romantic relationship. My first big love was with someone who identifies as a woman. And I can, I remember so distinctly the first time we met, um, we were going to see Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, when we were 14. And I, we were going with a friend and I remember opening up the back of my friend's mom's SUV and looking into the car and there is this person just dressed up as a pirate like to the absolute T and I truly feel like it was love at first sight I was just like obsessed with her from there on out and it was just three years of like constantly texting all of the time before like I finally suggested that we actually start dating and I was like really drugged out after I got my wisdom teeth which I had six of which I think about still to this day Uh, six wisdom teeth teeth, and then I had an extra tooth on the top of my mouth so I've had so many teeth in my life and it's just too much Um, and like in all honesty we didn't really date for very long I feel like we dated for like in typical young queer fashion for like a month and a half and like reading back through that journal that I was telling you about we dated three times she was just like she was gorgeous and kind and creative and just like filled a lot of gaps for me that I didn't really see in myself and like being around her just like made me feel high in the like most cliche teenage way possible despite that high she was extremely emotionally and physically unavailable and neither of us had like ever been in a queer relationship. I didn't have any of the knowledge or experience or language to let her know what I needed. And as as Rue did, like mm-hmm. when Jules left, like whenever she wouldn't show up, I would just like find myself spiraling. Like whenever we like broke up for a time, I remember just like leaving my phone in the car throughout the entire day. Like I just like couldn't be attached at all to it, knowing that she like was somewhere out in the world not talking to me. I remember this one time when she was supposed to come over to my house and like we had broken up maybe once or twice at this point, but in my mind, we needed, no, we were like required to have sex in this mm-hmm. time. And it was like one of these actions that I understood at the time that would like validate our relationship or like bring us closer. When I say that, I really meant bring her closer to me, like mm-hmm. she would be attached in this way. But in reality, like I had no clue what like queer sex was or like what intimacy in a relationship looked like or that. I needed different affirmations, like quality time. So many times she didn't show up that day and it left me to kind of just like try to cope with this big love that I was feeling in a way that I didn't really understand. And as chaotic as our relationship was, I I still truly believe that like I was really in love with her Mm -hmm. and being in love with her really showed me firsthand how big and like bold and beautiful my love for another person could be and still like is astounding to see in my relationships now but like I thank her for like opening this side of myself that although was very chaotic really showed me the depth to myself in a lot of way which I think Rue experiences quite a bit as well. Wow. Yeah. That was so beautifully articulated. And I really thank you for going there because I really do think it's not to, you know, be too simple about it, but I really do think what you felt 
is kind of similar to what they are feeling and just the enormity and the lack of language and yeah, all of these elements that you spoke to. And as much as we're like, this is a mess, this is hard, this is painful. I really do believe that they love each other in the same way that you really loved this person. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And especially at that age when like, and in those circumstances, when you need something, it feels like to really hold on to, although it may not last and it might not be the healthiest, like we get ourselves into the circumstances with people like this because you learn something from that situation and right. you take that and you grow with that. Right, right. Or so you hope. Or so you hope. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's look at what Rue and Jules did and how well they did at navigating the enormity of this first big relationship. What can we learn from them? Um, because personally, I'm just going to say it. I think, you know, obviously, I think Jules is amazing in a lot of ways. I think she has absolutely no regard for Rue's feelings in this. Or she's at least irresponsible with Rue's feelings because I think she knows how Rue feels and she knows how big Rue's feelings are. She knows Rue has talked to her mom about Jules. I love when Jules says that when she's like, are you talking to your mama about me? <laughs> like that's mm -hmm. such a cute, like that's such a moment when you realize somebody has told their mom about you. And Lexi talks to Jules about how Rue is doing so well and it's all because of Jules and I acknowledge that maybe some of Jules's hesitancy is because of the pressure she feels knowing Rue's sobriety is very dependent on her. I'm sure that's part of it. But in a lot of ways, I'm like, I feel like you're being a little irresponsible with uh, Rue's heart here. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with some elements of that. I think their relationship is really cute and coy and like they definitely mm -hmm. have that youngness, like the youth within their relationship and as I was watching I was unsure if Jules like fully understood the extent to which like Rue's sobriety depended on Jules but right. then later in the Jules special um we see when she says I feel like her sobriety is completely dependent on how available I am to her mm -hmm. um I think this dependency creates a very real and unspoken imbalance within their relationship that is also yeah. you know reflected in the relationship that Jules has with her mother that we you know don't see happening on the screen and there's just so many things that we don't understand about these characters and where they are at and mm -hmm. I think it's it's like, yes, she was maybe not the kindest with Rue all the time, but there's only so much you can do when you don't have the tools to like conceptualize intimate relationships and especially so something with what you think is your friend. Um, and I think it's just like, it's also very emotionally taxing when you are left to pick up the pieces for not only yourself, but other people. Yeah, but I think... So yes, I do feel like that's definitely weighing on her. And you're right. Like they, they are teenagers and they're teenagers with, as we've said a million times, a lot of damage already done to them. But I think what we can learn, you know, if we were having friends going through this situation, if we were, God, ugh, raising teenagers <laughs> going through this situation, I think what we learn is that when you don't define the relationship and I think it's really funny in Rue's bonus special, uh, um, her sponsor calls her out for this where he's like, well, did you tell her? Like, did you talk about what you were to each other? And she's like, why would we talk about it? And mm -hmm. people still do this as full adults where they're like, why would we have that conversation? But, you know, when one person is defining their entire life around the other, 
and the other person is casually hooking up with people over the weekend, you know, they don't understand the consequences. Like, I don't think Jules understood the consequences of what hooking up with Anna meant to Rue because they didn't really have a conversation about what they are. And not to like make it so basic and say like it all comes down to defining the relationship, but I'll let you kind of speak to how difficult that is, you know, with like when a queer friendship becomes more, because obviously it's not as simplistic as I'm trying to make it right now. When I saw the DTR in your notes, I had to go look that up. Honestly, Uh I didn't know what that was. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. And like, yeah, I think defining the relationship is, you know, a thing that a lot of people do. Um, I also think there's just like so many assumptions made. And I know that I specifically do this a lot about what other people are thinking and feeling in terms of my relationship with them. In my experience as a queer person, like the lines between friend and lover are like extremely blurred and, you know, sometimes don't exist at all, depending on the type of relationship you set up with another person or or people. But that's like strong communication coming through. Like you have to be able to, you know, actually verbalize that. And the queer people that I know tend to lean on each on each other in different ways that could be seen as romantic or expectations that you would think like only from a romantic people or Mm -hmm. romantic partner. And in reality, I think that queer people and a lot of like marginalized communities and identities have a way of being able to lean on each other in a way that isn't like straight, white and cis. The relationship between Jules and Rue crosses this, you know, quote unquote, friendship line and jumps and continues to get more contrived as, you know, they're bonded through their trauma. But I think it's like, especially important to question, like, what narratives actually make up a friendship? What narratives actually make up a relationship? And we see it overlapping so many times, but we want to put it into boxes to make it more comfortable Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think that I think there's a lot of overlap that we need to, like, continue to acknowledge that makes it so we don't end up in these situations where love, like, this big love is everything. Because there's a lot of, like, support and love that you can get that you get from your friends. Yeah. Thinking about friendships versus relationships and the overlapping of that. Like, I think it's possible. Jules seems to have so like deep, intimate friendships with all of the people that she's friends with. You know, we see her go visiting a friend from the city and Rue doesn't, you know, Rue's best friend up until now has been Lexi, who she honestly treats like shit. I think that's part of it too, is just like they're varying different experiences with how they treat their friends. Because in a lot of ways, it feels like Rue's never really had a best friend and a best friend can be intimate, even if it's not romantic. And I think Rue is maybe conflating that too quickly. And I don't know that Jules would have gotten there as quickly. So on that note, let's lead into kind of the second topic. And these two topics do overlap, I think, quite a bit today. We started talking about just the enormity of your first time being in love and the enormity of your big high school relationship. And now we're going to move into navigating your first queer relationship because there are many, many layers of what going on in this relationship as we've spoken to. But one of the dominant factors is that this is Rue's first queer relationship. I also think it is Rue's first romantic relationship at all because she goes she does her whole brief sexual history thing and Mm -hmm. 
Um, I believe what the implication is that this is also Jules' first relationship with a woman, I believe, um, Mm -hmm. per her conversation with her high school friends. So that, you know, adds this whole other layer of complexity, which you began to speak to a bit. So we're really going to go into it now and talk about how well they handle this. Because at the beginning of their relationship, Rue's feelings seem to be very clear for Jules. I don't know how well she's articulating them, but for us, the audience, it is very obvious that Rue is romantically and sexually attracted to her. We see her daydream about Jules. We see her masturbate to Jules. But I think it really does take Jules a bit to figure out what her feelings are for Rue. So let's talk a bit about these blurred lines that we've, you know, started to speak to a bit in romance into your first queer relationship. Like how can be it can be complicated and how do Rue and Jules handle it? Yeah. I mean, I want to gently push back and say that I don't know if Rue's feelings were clear. Like, it seemed pretty foggy to me at the beginning, especially I think there was an initial attraction in Mm. a capacity. Not sure if that was romantic at first, but for myself, like the first time I had like real feelings towards a person who I think, I think it was in eighth grade that I had, I identified my first real feelings for a person who identified as a woman. And it just took me so long to see that those feelings were like outside of the friendship realm. And like, I'm a Libra. So what isn't romantic to me? Like truly, it feels like most things are. And Mm. I think like, no matter how you identify or what type of relationship you have, the best thing you can do is to navigate your boundaries in a relationship and how you show up and keeping the lines of communication open. I know that's just like, hello, cliche and we talk about that all the time we're always preaching that to each other but it's just so true and for a really long time it was like my default to make assumptions of what the people I was in a relationship were thinking about me or how I felt and I would react to my thoughts rather than just like being kind and curious and asking questions and I think asking Asking questions is just so important. And sometimes when you're caught in a big love and you don't want to ask the hard questions because you don't really want to know the truth. You don't want the answer. Yeah. You don't want the answer because you love the fairy tale that you're living in. But then that just creates like so much for me. It just like created a lot of anxiety and a lot of not knowing and a lot of spiraling Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to be like, do you really like care for me in a romantic way as two people who were both trying to figure out their sexuality? Like, yeah, yes, yes, there's a care, but also there's a, we don't fucking know. So when you speak about boundaries, like when Rue is, you know, going over and taking the nude photo shoot of Jules, that would be something, you know, if this was like your young queer friend going through this, you would be like, that is a boundary that you have to set. No, I would be like, go for it. But like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, you want that to be consensual for both right. people, of course. But mm-hmm. what well, I think more like, uh, sleeping over at each other's houses all the time like what does Mm -hmm. that mean and what is sleeping like we had a lot of sleepovers but like Mm -hmm. what does that mean for someone you're really attracted to and like making sure that there's like still space there is really important because when you're Mm -hmm. just like all consumed you're physically emotionally with a person it's hard to actually take those step back and be like what are my boundaries like what feels good about this what feels bad about this and like a lot of times 
when you're in it so deep, you don't get asked the question, what feels bad about this? And like Rue needed to be able to ask herself that question a lot more than she did. And hopefully Mm -hmm. that would have helped her like identify like what are points for her to realize that she is just so dependent on Jules for her sobriety, for her emotional labor, everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So once they are, I have to use this so in quotes, like in a relationship, because I don't know if both of them would consider it one, but Rue describes them as together. What do you think works about their relationship and what doesn't? Because there are things, you know, that I think are really sweet. Like, I really do think they adore each other. I just love how into each other they are. I love Jules, like getting her ready for prom and Jules saying like, I think I think you look great, but I'm worried I messed with your gender expression. I love seeing them dance at the prom. But I think it's I think it's in the prom episode. Someone makes a comment about their love or their relationship being dark, which is is there are there's already so much darkness in their life that like so maybe that means that whatever romance they had was always going to be dark that also makes me sad it makes me sad to see them having these moments of lightness and then know that like ultimately the overarching thing of their relationship is that it is dark yeah absolutely i think there is just like a lot of beauty and light moments in in what they have and i i feel like i def say it for myself a lot and how I describe my relationships is that I'm in relation with another person and Mm -hmm. maybe that gives it a little bit more room to breathe um but they're both like dealing with some really real shit and like don't have the mechanisms in place in order to support or maintain a relationship that would ultimately be healthy for either person like they have some sweetness of course love it beautiful Mm -hmm. but ultimately what they have set up doesn't have a foundation or the foundation that it is is in trauma and it's just like will ultimately be toxic for both of them when they aren't able to deal with their what they have going on and also like not being able to really we don't see them communicate it to each other very often until like later on yeah yeah and this is something that you were saying about you know this is the advice you would give is to communicate because there's and not assume. And I think the there's a lot of assuming. There's a lot that quote goes unsaid, but it actually doesn't go anywhere because nothing, you know, they're just they get stuck in this same place. One of the things being that like Rue feels like a burden, and that's like a huge sticking point for her in this relationship. And what she needs is for Jules to tell her that she's not. And Jules can't do that because Rue's not expressing how she feels. Essentially, there's just like a whole lot that's going assumed in unspoken. And the sweetness isn't enough to make up for all of that. I feel that Rue really needs Jewel to like do this validation and emotional labor for her. For her yeah. But Jewel's like one doesn't know what Rue needs and two like doesn't have the capacity to show up in this way and vice versa. There's I think when... Jules is talking to her therapist in the special. She's like, I think that I knew Tyler more than I knew Rue. Yeah, right. Because they like just like talked about like they really had time to go into the basics of like who we are. Because when you're talking to someone online, that's all you have to talk about. But Mm -hmm. Rue and Jules relationship really jumped a lot of steps very quickly and intimately. Yes. Yes. 
So, you know, as always, um, communicate. But it's interesting, you make a great point, because it's like, even if they were communicating, even if Rue was like, I need you to be here and support my sobriety, it's not like Jules as a teenager could do that, or or at least couldn't do it alone, couldn't do it without language, couldn't do it without guidance, couldn't do it without support. And similarly, if Jules had told Rue, I am being blackmailed by Nate, even though Jules Rue kind of does figure it out, it's not like there's really anything Rue could have done, again, without intervention from a trusted adult or the police or something. It was always going to be too much to put on one person. And that's the other thing, I guess, where I'm going with this is just like, their love is so isolated. And that's the danger of the like, I hate everybody but you relationship is that Mm -hmm. you can't possibly even if they didn't, even if you removed one layer, even if you removed addiction, it would still be too much for one person, even if you removed uh, removed another layer, layer, even if you removed mental health diagnosis, it would still be too much for one person, even people with way less of the baggage or the trauma that they have put put on them in this show. One person can't handle all of that. So mm-hmm. even if they had communicated it, it was their relationship had become so insular that it wouldn't have been fair, I think. Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree with that. The other thing that I think they don't really have a language around, which is so interesting, and I, I think it's kind of a teenage problem, but I also think it's an adult problem. And there's this scene in prom at prom where Jules asks Rue when they're standing in the bathroom stall, why don't you kiss me? And I think that's the super interesting dynamic that happens early in our sexual lives. And this show presents some women that are super in touch with their sexual desire and their power, like Cassie and Jules. And then you have some characters like Lexi and Rue who seem to really struggle to find their sexuality and sexual desire. She like we see Rue masturbate to Jules, but she isn't Jules is not made, I feel, I think, to see to feel sexually desired by Rue versus like she goes into the city to meet Anna, who is super like straightforward about how she's attracted to her. I just think that is a weird thing that we're all going through as teenagers and figuring out how much desire we need, how much like mm-hmm. sexual, how sexually forward we can be. And that's the thing that even adults are like, I need you. I need to know that you want me. Like some people just run more sexual than others. Also like Maddie and Kat, yeah, some of the wild characters. Yeah. Maddie was like pretty wild throughout the show, but like really wanted to understand what sex meant to the men that she slept with. I feel like yeah. her sex was very performative because she wanted to use it to have men treat her in a very specific way, which she like really outlined in this show. Oh yeah. Um, and then Kat, who's just like such a bad bitch and yep. is high key a dominatrix online, um, which is awesome. Love to see it. Know that she's like underage. So that part is problematic. She's totally down to have men pay her to like treat them like shit, which I was mm-hmm. definitely here for. And I think another point on especially between Rue and Jules is like historically queer people have been viewed as like sexual deviants or hypersexual and this has been like used against the queer community in a long time like 
as an example of like health healthcare access. And while there are tons of queer people who like to have a lot of different types of sex and intimacy, there are also a lot who like don't like ruse, ruse like general maybe like lack of interest or desire for sex could mean or sex or intimacy could mean that she's like asexual or just like or demisexual she just doesn't have like the knowledge or experience to know what she wants yet and I want to say that like when we were in high school we received like little to no sex education that was queer trans focused Um, and like now at 28 I feel like I'm just starting to understand what sex and intimacy like looks good looks like for me and it's extremely liberating i i truly want to shout out the podcast um queer sex ed because it's been just like revolutionary for me and i've been preaching the good word to everyone i know about it because the host of the show break down sex and sexuality and identity in a way that i've just never heard before mm-hmm. and just like such an open and such open and honest conversations that we're just like not i don't know if allowed is the right word that we just like aren't able to have when we're that young And talking about what sex really means to me now is just so much different than it's really ever meant to me before. And like, you know, I had top surgery and I'm just in a completely different body than I was Mm -hmm. when I was first having sex. And I had to renegotiate all of that. And just like really, I felt like I was starting from scratch in a lot of ways on like what intimacy really looked like to me. Mm -hmm. And when I first started having sex again in the body in which I am and now, like, I felt myself, like, taking on all these, like, parts of, like, toxic masculinity in the bedroom wow. of, like, mm-hmm. needing to be, and it's, like, what Nate and Cal looks like in a lot of ways, like, needing to be dominant and assertive and, like, this is what sex looks like when you have a masculine body. Very quickly, I was like, fuck this, fuck that. Like, I don't want to take on these ideologies of what having a masculine body feels like because mm-hmm. it's just so toxic and, like, renegotiating negotiating my fluidity within my head of like, why would I spend so much time and energy on this body if I was just going to let it sink into a binary? All of me is so fluid and my sexuality should apps or my sex and intimacy should definitely be as well. You just allow yourself to be much more open when you're when you're able to see that and hear other people's experiences like your own with with sex. It's so challenging when I'm like on testosterone and I have top surgery and people are like, oh, you like want to use he, him pronouns. Like you want to be like a dude. And I'm like, no, I do not want to be a man because they're the worst. I just like want to have masculine. I want to be able to be masculine without being toxic all of the time and like have that flow in whatever direction it goes day by day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, because this came up with Jules and her special, the way that you are talking about your relationship with masculinity feels similar to the way that she talks about her relationship with femininity. And she even considers going off of her hormones. And I think that that, you know, has to do with her feeling like her femininity. And I think eventually they'll get into it, her sexuality and her sexual experience so defined negatively by cis men. So do Mm -hmm. you feel like that is a journey that Jules will probably go on and explore on the show or that they should as writers or she should as a character? Yeah, absolutely. Like as far as 
Jules saying that she wants to get off of her hormones, I've definitely thought about that a lot of times. I've been on testosterone for a year and it usually takes about two years to set in. And once I got top surgery, a lot of my dysphoria went away. So I was like, I don't really want to, I don't really need to think about taking hormones as much as I do. But I think that I'm still in the phase that I will. Also, there's a notion that people like, when you're quote unquote transitioning, that it like ends at a certain point, Mm -hmm. but you're truly doing it for the rest of your life. You're constant. I like to say that I'm like evolving constantly because that's what's happening. Like my body is changing all of the time. I'm always sweaty. I I hate it so much. I feel like a teenage boy that we used to make fun of in middle school PE because I'm just always sweating and it's so gross. But like those changes come through time and like we are constantly evolving as we are as Jules does with her femininity. All right. So we're going to wrap up our episode after taking in everything we've discussed. We're going to try to end with some advice, which, you know, probably won't be good as an advice from a therapist, but we are going to do our best. And so we're going to share the advice we'd give with someone in a Rue and Jules situation. And hopefully nobody has all of the many layered problems that they do. But if you're in that first overwhelming romantic high school situation, if you're navigating the transition from queer friendship to relationship, what would we tell someone? I would say my first piece of advice would be like, don't isolate yourself in the relationship. Be intentional. Continue to make time for your friends, for your family. Look to your community. Like, Look to your resources. Look online. See what other people with your identities and needs are experiencing. There's so many good resources out there. Continue to ask questions. Set boundaries for yourself, for your relationship that so that you can continue to be open and communicate with one another and really understand that discomfort is growth and it's natural and take it head on. I strongly believe that saying no makes room for an authentic yes in every situation. So if does if something doesn't feel right in the moment, you can say no. If something is feeling uncomfortable, you can say no and be able to take the step the time to step back and evaluate what feels right for you within the relationship. Most importantly, like you are whole and valid on your own. And if a relationship ends, you will be okay, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Take that as a as a point of growth and understand what did and did not make sense for you in that relationship and use that when you jump into your next one. Oh, that was very well put. I mean, I think similarly, I think it's really easy the first time you're in love to think that your love is going to fix all your problems, that love is the most powerful force on the planet, that it can inspire you to make better choices, to see things in a more positive way, and that love can make you make plans and dream bigger. And sometimes love is that strong. Sometimes it is. But I don't think love is more powerful than addiction. And I don't think love is more powerful than undealt with mental health issues. And I don't think love is more strong than dangerous situations that emotionally manipulate people. Those are things that you need to make a clear and distinct decision on how you want to handle them before you involve another person, if you have the ability to do that. And we see this discussed in the bonus episode with Rue, but she basically says she doesn't even know if she wants to get clean. So like she needs to make that decision before she brings in another person. And she's so lost and she's struggling so much. 
And so I think if you're someone who empathizes with Rue, who sees themselves in Rue, I would say that you're probably not at the place to introduce a relationship. And it's it's not fair to you or that person. So if and if you are, if you're already in one, I think the right move for them in the next season, whenever we get it and um, whenever they're able to film safely is like, I really do hope they take a pause from each other. And I was going to end this episode with asking you, do you ship it? Because I think I don't ship them together, at least not yet. All of that was excellently said. Lots of great points. Um, I want to say like, as a queer, I feel like I'm legally obligated to ship it, but I don't because it just like there's so much going on that obviously they would be better independent of one another. If they could bring the next season back and they were both like just sat in therapy for that whole season and then they like, you know, met up for coffee at a park and then like reconciled through a bunch of this emotional trauma that they went through, then took like another five year break and then like came back and like got together, I would definitely ship it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we ship these two queer women like being happy. Um, but we want their relationship to be healthy. And as much as like they care about each other right now, we I, I we can't endorse can't endorse at the mo. I don't want to watch another season of queer trauma being played out on screen. Well, oh. thank you so much for having me on here. Oh, this has been excellent to talk gosh. about. Thank you so much for coming on. You have no idea. I'm so so grateful for you to come on especially you are the only person i've had on that does not identify as an actor or performer in any way (laughs) so thank you for coming from the farm to do this and this is the point in the um in the episode where i would ask you to share your social medias to find to find you but you don't have that one so i would like to end with is are, are there any organizations or resources or anything that you would like to plug right now that you would find important or helpful for anyone? Yeah, I would definitely replug the Queer Sex Ed podcast. Honestly, for anyone, it will really teach you a lot about what's going on with sex and sexuality. Um, I also want to say that, you know, as uh, as a queer non-binary person, we kind of didn't have the full picture of the trans woman experience on this show. And I would like to shout out an article uh, titled I Love Euphoria and Hate It, which is written by Drew Gregory, um, an LA-based writer who wrote uh, this awesome piece for Autostraddle, um, which really gives that perspective and insights um and is an awesome resource to look at for the show those are two resources and also like just if you are a queer person if you think you may be queer or you know having questions about your identity there is so much online i you know particularly like don't want to plug reddit but some of their (laughs) some of their queer subreddits are just like really there's some really helpful content on there for just you know looking around seeing what feels right and you know not having to do that super publicly Mm -hmm. i will link those in the show notes in reddit except reddit reddit you can find it on (laughs) don't Um, don't link reddit ever I will link the article and the podcast and I'll let everybody do their own Reddit exploration. And again, Em, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your thoughts on Ruin Jewels, your thoughts on your big high school romance, your experience watching Euphoria and how much therapy you want to see these characters go through, you can find us online at Talking Ship Podcast. You can find me at OnlyMegan815 and tune in every Thursday as we talk about fictional couples from TV that we know and love 
or know and hate sometimes. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.